Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, we'll speak to Alma Matatiko of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights about the Texas Day School Massacre and the ongoing cover-up. We'll also be joined for the discussion by legendary Bay Area troubadour and human rights activist Francisco Herrera and Flashpoint senior producer Miguel Gabilan Molina. All this and more coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. I'm going to take these marbles out of my mouth and welcome you to the Pacifica Radio Network. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 over the Pacifica Radio Network from the San Francisco Bay Area. We are live in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and uh, we are the People's Radio Network. And we are going to uh, go back to Texas, uh, and we're going to take a look at uh, what happened in terms of the recent massacre and the, really the ongoing cover-up through the eyes of somebody who has worked in these communities and understands uh, sort of the underlying racism that always surrounds a situation like this. Uh, it's a troubling situation, and we're not going to let go. We want to know as much as we can about hap- uh, what happened, and we don't want it to happen again. Alma Matatiko, welcome to Flashpoints. It is good to have you with us for the first time. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. I wish it was under much more positive circumstances, but I I want to ask you, as somebody who works uh, in these communities, who understands the multiple implications and the uh, what kind of deep suffering and implications this has? I want I want you to give us what was your first response, and what are the kinds of things you've been hearing about, and sort of trying to do based on your own work with the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Yes, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, I I mean, obviously, we are still in shock and really trying to understand you know, what what really happened there and, and what really happened. Uh, I, I think we're, we're also trying to understand what happened in El Paso a few years ago in which, you know, a, a, a very relatively peaceful community, you know, also suffered the impacts of, 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 of a similar massacre. And... You know, I think that one important thing that it's important to recognize about the U.S.-Mexico borderlands is that our community has been militarized for many, many, many decades. And it's a community that in which militarization and policing really shapes the experiences of the people who live here. And primarily brown communities, we're talking about indigenous communities, we're talking about... uh, Mexican communities that have also, you know, have historic ties to this to this region, and also, you know, migrant communities that that transit through this region, we all are impacted in in, in many ways by by the militarization and and policing, which is very racialized in nature. And you know, the U.S. Mexico borderlands has allowed this tremendous 
concentration of, of weaponry, of military tactics, has created this very massive industry in which local communities have to live through that or have to you know, make a living off of those industries because there's really no attention or discussion of other very important human needs or human rights or or or, or access to to services, essential services such as healthcare, you know, education and so we're very impoverished communities with a very massive build up of weaponries and a system that tells us that this is what we need that this is key to national security and that, you know, especially in Texas, you know, our um, government, you know, is very supportive, you know, of, you know, the Second Amendment and they they just promote it as if, you know, the Second Amendment was going to really indeed provide safety and security for our families and our communities. And as we can see, no amount of policing can really deter these tragic situations that we're seeing and that we're confronting. And of course, um, uh, one only has to look at the, not that uh, it was a good thing what happened in Tulsa, but in Tulsa, there was a proper response that lasted about five minutes. We're now learning detail after detail about how various levels of law enforcement dropped the ball. Uh, we're, we're now talking about an hour, over an hour, where kids were calling 911 and they were being slaughtered. Uh, parents were breaking through the lines and they were being tackled, but they were uh, the only ones that were trying to rescue the children, their own children inside. Do you have any thoughts about that? Have you been? You must know people in the area. You must have some thoughts about what's unfolding here. We saw the the Texas Rangers give first we saw one uh, false story from the governor, another uh, fallacious story from the Texas Rangers and the Department of Public Safety. What's your response to the way this is being handled? Well, um, as an organization that is concerned with human rights, with, with the human rights of communities, uh, I think our focus is really to continue bringing the discussion of how militarization and weapons and the, the, the hyper-militarization of our communities, it's leading to this type of, of situations in which these very... Um, how how can I say mas, mas, masculinized uh, systems, you know, in which you know our youth and and many men, you know, are here like really supportive of, you know, guns. Uh, it, it really creates a, a situation that is very unsafe uh, for our communities. Now, in terms of policing, it's very hard for me to comment on the various specifics of, of the actions and how this unfolded because it's really not my expertise. But what I can tell you is that we really need some to really to really have a community discussion about some of the, the priorities that are that are uh, uh, that, that the priorities that we have as a community and how we have been for many years and for many decades unable 
to really have a deeper discussion about healthcare, about mental healthcare supports, about you know uh, other basic needs that the rural communities really lack. And instead, what we have is a buildup of policing forces, a buildup of, of of military operations that, in the end, are unable to respond to crises and situations like that. So we really need to go deeper and try to figure out as a community what can we do better what kind of policy changes we need to 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 fight for to ensure that communities on the borderlands and very particularly communities of color you know that that our that our needs that our rights and that our visions are represented and addressed you know by 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 policymakers because you know we sincerely lack opportunities for really influencing political agendas and you see the governor you see the major you know and and, and they're all calling for supporting you know the second amendment and further you know bringing more weapons into schools like if that is really going to solve the poverty the mental health crisis and the many other crises that we suffer in the, in the in borderland communities you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're speaking with Alma Matatiko. She's co-director, National De- uh, Network for the Immigrant and Refugee Rights. We're talking about, uh, and she's talking to us from Texas. We're talking about, uh, yes, we're, we're keeping an eye on what happened at that school uh, as we watch what appears to be an unfolding cover-up. Now, there was some pretty obvious... Experiencing a major power surge here in San Francisco at the Flash Flashpoint Studios, but I think we're back. We're speaking with Alma Matatiko. She's the co-director of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Uh, Alma, are you still with us? Sorry for that disconnection. Are you there? 
Yes, I'm still here. Okay, sorry for that uh, interruption. Uh, but I, I had just asked you, um, it's hard not to observe the, the the way in which people have been treated. You, you have a, a, a an English-only press conference in a community that's 80, 90% Spanish-speaking brown community. There's not even a signer there. Uh, there's uh, one press conference mis, uh, misleading people, then another. The, one cannot, uh, and I'm not asking you to comment on the specifics, but there seems to be uh, the 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 intention seems to be to suppress and move past this. I've never seen sort of a, an official cover up happening in such an obvious way in front of the world. Uh, it, it seems to be a direct insult to the community. Um, unfortunately, we we are that is. That is the way many things are handled on the U.S.-Mexico border, no? Uh, we, as we were watching the events unfolding, and, and you know, we, it's really hard to know the specifics of really what happened, but we were very concerned with uh, U.S. Border Patrol being at, this, at, the, at the site, uh, being responsive to this particular incident, because uh, uh, for, for one... Uh, communities, I mean, uh, Border Patrol agents, you know, uh, uh, are all over our communities. And, uh, you know, that creates a lot of fear I- I- in the community. And and we, there has been several incidents in which Border Patrol agents have been tied to, um, to uh, uh, incidents in which that lead to to people losing their lives, like car chases and and all of that. When border patrol agents are supposed to be doing some type of policing activities, not border immigration control activities, but policing activities. So when we saw the border patrol at the school, we were really concerned, trying to figure out what was the U.S. border patrol doing there. Now, obviously, when there's an emergency, all human beings, you know, and very particularly law enforcement agencies, must respond to an to an to an incident that is unfolding. Now, our questions are: with all that military buildup, with all of these agencies, why wasn't a, a more prompt response, an effective response? And on top of that, uh, it, it also for us, it's important to start kind of really assessing, you know, who who are the policing forces in their community? What are they responsible for? What are the roles? And 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 in a certain way, assess at the same time uh, the role of the U.S. Border Patrol uh, in that in that scene, because we're very concerned that the Border Patrol has a track record of covering up incidents in which people lose their lives which which where people have lost their lives so then having them engage in a scene like that and then like you're mentioning the cover-ups for us it's like well this is just kind of again a pattern of how policing operations sometimes take place here where we don't know essentially what is happening there's no transparency and, there's, and when there's no transparency, then there's no accountability. So I think we need to have a community dialogue about the type of 
the 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 type of uh, policing, the type of justice, the type of you know uh, uh, what? Can, how can I say? Yeah, the, the type of uh, system of governance that we need, we want to have, especially especially in communities of color. Like we wow. need to have accountability from these uh, law enforcement agencies. Well, well uh, let me tell people, we, you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're speaking with Alma Matatiko. She's co-director of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. We're, we want to hear a lot more about that. I'd like to ask you to stand by, Alma. We're going to take a, a musical break. We're going to hear some music, actually, by our next guest, Francisco Herrera, who's also a human rights activist here in the Bay Area, uh, supervises a day labor center, and is deeply engaged uh, in stories like this all over the country. So we're going to take a look at Texas, and we're going to try and put it in the context of the rest of the country. So uh, if you'll stay with us, that would be great. Uh, we're going to hear some music by our wonderful troubadour, Francisco Herrera. We'll also be joined after this musical break by our good friend and our senior producer, Miguel Cabela Molina. Please stay with us. Thank you for your patience. Our children are sacred, sagrado son. A veces se la aprendieron, ya se la saben, va. Todos juntos, Nuestro, our children are sacred, beautiful, gift, sacred, sagrado son. Listos. Our children are sacred, nuestros niños son sagrados. Our children are beautiful, bellos, bellos. maravillosas de gente emprendedora al igual que todas las historias de nuestros inmigrantes nosotros también algún día no tuvimos un documento luego gracias al TPS pudimos tener un permiso de trabajo construimos nuestras familias y ahora tenemos raíces en los Estados Unidos And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. Francisco Herrera, welcome to Flashpoints. Uh, that wasn't the, uh, I'm not sure that the <laughs> version we were supposed to play, but it was a version. 
and I certainly have no aversion to your uh, wonderful music and the work that goes uh, along with it. Uh, Francisco Herrera, uh, Mid Alma Mantitico, if you haven't already. Um, now, we wanted you to sort of jump in here, uh, maybe reflect a little bit on what happened to these beautiful children in Texas and put it into some national context. I'm sure that Alma will have a lot to say about um, how what's happening there is happening in a lot of places. Thank you, Dennis, and uh, thank you to all our radio listeners. Uh, saludos, Alma. I'm glad to meet you on the phone here. Este, that was kind of a live uh, live on the corner version of the song which I love yeah. to hear sorry about that <laughs> no 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 that Wrong was button. great that was great yeah. Yeah, and, it was that was, beautiful. and that was Freddie that was Freddie Torres uh, a TPS holder who does some great work whose voice you heard as a uh, he was speaking up what needs to be done for immigrant communities and migrant communities you know, I want to first, we haven't talked this on the air, so I just want to first of all just uh, just really send all our love to those families because I was very moved by uh, by the, the or, or deeply moved and, and sadness by the, the fact that this teacher who was murdered and then her husband after the funeral went home yeah. and had a heart attack and you have four children, uh, 19 murdered, uh, 19 families, hundreds, 200, 500 family members, you know, a thousand, 10,000 community members whose lives will be, are forever changed. There's, there's no, the, you know, you, there's a lot of therapy, there's a lot of everything, but this is a, a life traumatic moment for those thousands of families and for all of us, you know, all of us who've experienced war and torture and, uh, and these kind of traumas. Um, I know at the day labor center, people were even afraid to, uh, you know, to open the door to come out or even the folks who act like not like, Oh, they're numb. No, nobody's really numb. This is a, this is a traumatic, tragedy of course it's the responsibility of negligence of the lame lone rangers whatever the hell they're called but uh but the fact of the matter is we're going through a deep deep trauma one more time a week after buffalo a week and a half and like alma mentioned el paso there was another shooting in minnesota i believe and and uh in his trauma after trauma that we are now engaged in having to go through, which really brings our community at the national level into a space of, of war, no? of uh, where, and I mean war in the sense of, uh, I remember being active during the war in Salvador, in Guatemala, the, man, the many battles in, in our neighborhoods when this dynamic, this dynamic of when you don't know when the next bomb will explode, right? you don't know when the next massacre will happen, you don't know when the next shooting will occur, and you juxtapose this to the irresponsibility of, uh, like Steve, uh, Steve Kerr said, fifty senators who've hijacked and kidnapped this nation, 
uh, because their their god is the NRA and the gold that comes out of the weapons industry or their fear, whatever it is. You know, the, the irresponsibility and the ill government of the Biden administration and all those Democrats and Republicans that are deeply invested in the arms um, selling uh, industry and uh, against the hope of so many families, working families, who are now going through this deep, deep trauma. And I think I, I, I think I want to underline the piece of the trauma because unless we grab, unless we really say it, we're going to be living with it. You know, the person who says, oh, you know, I'm just numb to this. That's BS. You're not numb to it. Um, and you're going to have an explosion at work or you're going to have some kind of, you're going to have an accident because you're not paying attention because our, our, the trauma is what it does. It, on the one hand, it freezes you. But in, on the other hand, it kind of dulls your attention span. And that's, that's why you shouldn't drive when you're drunk, right? That kind of thing. But that's the same kind of effect that this kind of traumatic uh, public activity has. You know, you have public art that beautifies and you have public violence that traumatizes. And that's exactly what, what we're bring, being brought into as, as these massacres continue to promulgate throughout the country. We are the number one country where this happens. In fact, I think we're yeah. the only country. By far, by far, by far. It's not so even does, close. Is that, is that making America great again? <laughs> that more massacres, like when they used to hunt us down as Indians or as uh, human beings who wanted to escape that capitalist project called slavery, or you know, yeah. or when they chased us down as horse thieves because we were going after a horse that belonged to us when in California after they killed so many people here when they took stole this part of Mexico. I mean, it's the same activity as the Tulsa massacres, right? In uh, a hundred years ago, and um, it's that same activity of traumatizing a population um, and tomorrow might be a 17 year old that goes to a, a Walmart to buy the next R15 but uh, or 20 year old it's not it's not even that person that does it anymore it's the same activity that is traumatizing the nation Dennis and Alma and Gavilan and well and let me I want to I'm going to ask a question I'd like you to uh, respond, Alma, then uh, Fran- Francisco, and maybe we can bring Gavilan in as well. Um, uh, Alma, I think you'll agree, and we talked a little bit about this, that the idea is that is to not get used to this, no matter what, you know, is to not harden, is to not forget now more than ever wouldn't you say alma now is a crucial time for organizing and trying to go to the deeper places i mean it is amazing to me that this tiny little elementary school is one of those that if you scratch the surface of history it had to be deregulated as a as a part of brown versus the board of education i mean mm-hmm. The history here uh, is important, and change is crucial. It, this is not a time. Is this not a time to seize that moment, Alma? 
Yes, and I think that's what I was trying to express a little while ago, is that we have to have um, a very profound discussion in this country about one, uh, what is what does public safety mean, and particularly for communities of color. And I think that, you know, uh, black communities have been, have said, you know, have opened a path to have this conversation about, about policing and, and racial injustice. And I think that brown communities are, are still way behind in that conversation, even when communities of color, brown communities, are the communities that are most incarcerated, that are most impacted by, by, by guns, you know, just pretty much, you know, right, we're pretty much right there with, with, with black communities. And in the very specific case of, of borderline communities, you know, we have uh, Maria Jimenez in Bangladesh, who has been a pioneer in the struggle for human rights on the borderlands. Uh, she used to describe that on the border, uh, the logic is war, and the perceived enemy is the immigrant. And and as in, in the in in that idea of the immigrant or the foreigner, it's communities of color who have always been the foreigner. She used to say that that border patrol used to be the the the, the special police of, of Mexicans. No, they, they 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 were there to stop us. No, or Central Americans. No, so we 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 that is the system that we hear on the U.S. Mexico border. It's a system in which we live at the intersection of of race, of guns, and really patriotism. You know, and we have really. As, as as borderland communities, uh, very little space to really be able to shape to shape agendas, to shape the discussion, because it's not only about the 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 weaponization, you know, the massive buildup in our communities of weapons, you know, under you know these these Republican administration, you know, in Texas, but it's also about restricting our access. To, to voting, you know, even to electoral, we very few of us have the right to participate in this elect, electoral uh, system of government, no, quote unquote democracy, no. I mean, you still see that the same people that used to govern the border patrol, the I'm sorry, the borderline communities 100 years ago, are the same people that continue governing the communities right now. You can see the same racial dynamics of 100 years ago. You still see them playing out in our communities right now. Mm -hmm. Francisco. Yes. Miguel, Gabriela Molina, yeah. you want to jump in? Absolutely, Dennis. And I, and I kind of, you know, I'm hearing what everybody's saying. And, and I think what we really need to look at is that Texas, the Southwest, and other areas where there's large concentration of Spanish-speaking communities, uh, Mexican, Centroamericanos, others, um, there's this segregation going on, even today. I know that region in Texas, there's a, you know, there's a cultural of, of segregation that goes back decades, yeah. if not back to the days of the Alamo. I mean, and that persists today. There's different treatment when it comes to whites, and there's different treatment when it comes to brown or people of color. And, and, and no, I think at this point, I, I mean, yes, Dennis. No, no, that was Francisco. I was saying, Gavilan, that we saw it in action 78 minutes 
before these supposedly very brave uh, super police called the lame rangers um, uh, are supposed to be uh, protecting people. And we saw them hold 78 minutes before they did anything. And at the end, it was a border guard, whatever the hell they're called. Uh, that killed this young man and police stopping parents from trying to save their kids. I mean, we saw it in action, the racism, right? Well, we see that constantly everywhere and we hear about it. You know, something is going on. The American dream, as we know it, is now the American nightmare. You know, the new norm. Mass shootings, mass murders, you know... You know, assault weapons uh, in civilian hands. I mean, it's it's like assault weapons are combat weapons of war, not sport hunting rifles to hunt and kill wild animals. In this mad, insane situation, you know, human crisis facing the nation, assault weapons are being used to hunt and kill as many people. The discussion needs to be focused not just on race relations, and racism that's embedded in Texas and the Southwest and other areas of this country, but also the 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 access, just uh, the access to assault weapons, weapons of war. These are weapons of combat. What are they doing? And I think that, you know, there's a lot of issues, but until we ban assault weapons and have national, you know, registry of checking people, you know, they're purchasing these weapons of war, it's going to continue. And 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 I think that uh, in Texas, you know, the, the cultural of segregation has been enforced by a cultural of intimidation, harassment and violence. It's nothing new. And the response, you know, it, the response is different. You know, in some ways, the rumors circulating throughout the barrios, you know, the people that I know in Texas and throughout the Southwest, hey, they let it happen. You know, these lone rangers weren't going to go in there and sacrifice their lives, you know, for brown kids. I mean, let's be real. We need to address it as it is. This was, you know, just, you know, racism at its naked you know, just blatant self. So I think that we need to have these discussions, as Alma was saying. You know, the, the uh, you know the human price that we see, uh, you know, needs to stop. And and uh, you know, uh, I mean, the, the the issue with mental health and the lack of monies in those areas. You know, we heard last week that you know two hundred million was cut by Governor Abbott. You know, to help, you know, mental, you know, mental health. They gutted that whole department. So there we have a community that's traumatized, that's constantly being harassed by the militarization of that area and the Border Patrol. So where where are we going with this discussion? We need to, you know, yes. Go ahead, uh, let me just jump in here. First of all, the voice you're just listening to is Miguel Gavalamoli, and he's a senior producer on the show. We also have with us Francisco Herrera, who is a regular contributor to Flashpoints, and we're honored to have with us Alma Montetico. She's co-director of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. Um, Alma, I know that um, 
uh, you're in the middle of all this, and there, there's nothing that we can tell you in terms of uh, what will surprise you regarding the nature of racism at the border, the impacts of the militarization, the various levels of crackdown. Uh, we have done more than a little reporting on the nature of racism uh, that sort of underlies the Border Patrol. The new Border Patrol uh, leader is um, Chris Magnus, is a master of covering up uh, in-service police murder. There's so many different ways that this doesn't look good. I, I guess I want to ask you, what are the structures? Where is the hope? Where are you? Where do you feel that you're making progress working with the National Network for you for immigrant and refugee rights? Uh, where is the hope at that level? Yes, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for that question because that's precisely what I was thinking. I think this is a time of, first of all, solidarity. It's a time where we need to show up for the families that and the community that has been impacted by this by this tragedy and it's time of really uh, for us to really uh, have these conversations in our communities about really how can we imagine and can, how can we structure uh, a future that really leads to new opportunities for communities and for communities of color for poor communities what does uh, human security mean? What does human rights mean in our communities? What 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 kind of uh, needs do we have? Do we have access uh, uh, to healthcare? Do we have enough schools? Do we have, you know, decent jobs? You know, do we have labor rights in our communities? And it's an opportunity for us to start building these, uh, having this discussion and start building these agendas and holding politicians accountable to to our communities. No, And I think that is our role as, as educators, as activists, no? to start uh, building opportunities for these new solidarities and for building new alternatives. And, and as you mentioned, we have to refuse uh, militarism, policing, weaponry as the, as the normal. We have to really be able to build an alternative, and and that can only be done, you know, through through solidarity among, you know, poor peoples, among workers, among communities of color, you know, and we have to build uh, a, a really a, a better future because it's it's urgent. We, I, I know that in, in Texas, uh, Alma, the lieutenant governor is a very powerful figure, Dan Patrick, uh, and he is really, uh, he is sort of behind all the pranks and the racist actions uh, that the governor takes. Do you think there's uh, a way to take action that can um, uh, supersede his power? Because he controls uh, the legislature and he's got an iron fist on that. He, in fact, some say he's more powerful than the governor and and to the right of the governor. Yes, and I think that that is what we need to do a lot of our work. You know, we really need to be able to start holding these discussions at the community level. We need to be able to translate our our conversations into into mobilization. We need to start uh, uh, making sure that and, and making sure that we that our agendas also. Uh, 
translate into into votes you know and i know that it's not um um it's it's it, it's a process and it's a process that it will take you know a long time and it's not gonna we're not gonna see change in one election and and as, as francisco mentioned you know we're not gonna see it just by electing you know one political party over another one when both political parties have been very deeply committed to the NRA to uh, other, you know, economic commitments they have where the agenda and then they leave behind the agendas of our community. But it is, again, our role as, as community uh, educators and activists to really continue opening these dialogues and discussions and building these uh, connections and intersections, you know, between our communities. I want to I want to bring Francisco and also Miguel back in, but one more question, Alma: Is this, given the fact there is this incredible open carry? Uh, policy uh, for 18 years and o- older to carry. You don't need a license. You don't need nothing. You end up with a gun and you're just sort of entering the supermarket to buy uh, a can of beans and you're looking down uh, the, the the barrel of a long rifle. Does this present a particular problem if you put a these kind of weapons in the hands of racists if we if if the state has a history of this kind of racism does this make life uh much more dangerous uh, i mean i think it's 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 obvious and for many many years communities of color you know have been essentially uh how do, how do you mention that have been uh, we we feel in many ways constrained and police in many in in many communities in which you know again the intersection of patriotism, guns and and politics really put communities of color at a at a disadvantage. So it obviously presents a lot of complications. But but let me just kind of reflect on something that that I that I think uh, I was thinking about as you were talking. Uh, in Mexico, and very specifically in Ciudad Juarez, when the war against the the the, the, the war against the drug drug, drug trafficking, uh, the war on drugs, when the the war on drugs uh, started, there was this massive um, a, a, how do you say that in English? Empezaron a llenar pues the pistolas of Ciudad Juarez, no? They they started weaponizing Ciudad Juarez. They started, you know, a lot of guns were going from the U.S. into Mexico. And Ciudad Juarez became one of the most violent cities, if not the, best, the most violent city at one point in, in, in the whole, you know, at the global level. We saw how all these weapons that started going into Mexico really transformed the whole country into a place, into a very violent, uh, pla- into very violent places, you know, where killings, shootings, genocides, you know, are occurring. There's hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people that have been disappeared, you know, as a result of the war on drugs and the weaponization, you know, of the country, you know. And, and I think that in many ways 
we have to really be paying attention of what does that does what do weapons do to our communities and we need to really be able to uh, fight for regulation of this because we know that guns have deeply racialized impacts, you know, on, on communities, and very specifically on communities of color. Francisco, do you want to respond yes. then, Miguel? That's correct. And the NRA gave us the, oh, it is the National Racist, I mean, Rifle Association, gave us the example. When Trump spoke at their circus the other day, they put a ban on, on what, do you call, what do you call it? The holster that you can have, uh, whatever you, the thing, the term you use right now, then there was no uh, carry, carry guns. They banned yeah, yeah. anyone. During the hour, during the hour that Trump, they didn't allow they didn't allow any of their members to have guns. Yeah, exactly. So they gave us the example of how you stop shootings. You don't allow guns. Yeah, Uh, and there were no shootings because they didn't allow any guns in. (laughs) Exactly. So, but and I want to follow up on what Alma is saying. I just pass it on to Gavilan. To holding our 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 politicians accountable, the lame and silly and ridiculous comments that Joe Biden has made, as if he's my grandfather in the kitchen table, has no power. When he has the power of of executive order, he has he's the president of the United States. To stand up and act like he has no power is just ridiculous. Go ahead, Gabilan. No, it is. I mean, he has executive power. Why doesn't he, you know, sign an order and ban assault weapons? These are weapons of war. They don't belong in civilian hands. And, and I think, you know, we have a lot of issues to deal with here. But at the top of it is we have to deal with truth in history. Because the situation in Texas uh, that happened uh, happened because the easy access to guns and, and gun you know, gun shows, uh, along with gun manufacturers, are peddling death, and 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 they're you know focusing on on these weapons of war to children and young adults. You know, their biggest sales at these gun shows, which are rampant everywhere, are assault weapons. So until this country, until Joe Biden administration, you know, gets enough spine to deal with this and use his executive power or just end the filibuster and get this thing through, not much is going to change. And in Texas, what we see there, they're banning the books. You know, they don't want the truth of history, (laughs) you know, told in in, in Texas, you know. They want to ban Mm -hmm. those realities. Well, there's a, a, you know, this ingrained into the Texas psychology, you know, racism. And until it's dealt with, you're going to have these kind of situations. So until assault weapons are banned, outlawed, and until this government takes a stand, the situation is not going to change. Now, as far as taking a stand on immigration, immigrant rights and refugee rights, we saw Kamala Harris, the vice president, when she went down to Texas. What did she do? Don't come. Can you believe it? A woman of color, a woman of color and that kind of authority goes down to the border. And what does she do? Don't come. Really, these are refugees fleeing violence, just like the refugees fleeing violence and destruction and death, you know, in Ukraine coming into the United States via the Mexican-U.S. border. You know, so it's like all these contradictions. But what the problem is, we need leadership. 
the Democrats or Demopublicans. They're not going to respond. They'll, you know, you know, just finesse their way and double talk. But we need to hold these people accountable. And I think there's going to be a battle at the ballot box. This, you know, primaries, you know, coming up in June this month and then the midterm elections. And I think everywhere, brown communities, black communities, communities of color, women and youth are all going to need to get together and start voting these people out and replacing them. You know, that's the future. And it starts at the ballot box because otherwise, you know, condolences and and, and moments of mourning, you know, they're not going to change. We need to stop the war that gun manufacturers and gun shows are peddling in this country. Alma, do you uh, think that... Uh, let me just ask Alma. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Alma, do you think that there will be some change? Do you think something will come out of what happened, uh, this horrific incident. Uh, I'm wondering if you've checked in with, uh, if you have any folks, if you know any people in the school, in the area, if if you think there'll be some political action in response? Well, I think that for, for uh, quite um, a number of years, there has been a lot of organizing and mobilizing in Texas, to really be able to support uh, policies, agendas, and even and even politicians, you know, that come from communities and that best represent the interests uh, of, of our communities. Um, we, I mean, obviously, it's really hard to say. Uh, one will hope would hope that this type of very tragic events will really. Uh, trigger mobilizations, but 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 we don't know. The reality is that I think that candidates really need to be able to use this opportunity to really go in their communities, listen to the communities, and really be paying attention to to what is really needed. To what are the gaps? What are the inequities that can be or should be addressed? So that you know communities really go out and, and vote and support them, you know, but uh, sadly, while there has been some 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 important victories at the local level, we have not been able to see really uh, candidates or politicians really being able to connect with communities of, of color. So we hope there are, you know, candidates out there that are obviously an alternative to what we have right now, but but you know it, it, it's difficult really to to predict. I think it will take a lot of organizing uh, from the ground up in order to to really transform the state into a state that really supports uh, and, and upholds really uh, the human rights of, of, of communities and communities of color. Francisco. I wanna. I really wanna um, actually throw props out for the national network. Uh, in fact, Alma, with the work you guys are doing, and I think one of the most and uh, the one of the most effective works, precisely to bring us together, is the the material you all produce, the facilitation you do with groups, the the work you do with the organizations like the different dioceses and, and the Catholic Church and other, and other faith-based groups, 
community organizations because you are not just talking about, but you're creating the material that help us all get organized, the information, the numbers, the, 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 you know, the actual putting uh, faith to the statistics. Um, and, and that's invaluable. I mean, this, this station was born out of that desire that you were mentioning to bring people together, to be able to dialogue after Lou Hill and, and 37,000 U.S. citizens spent four or five years in prison because they refused to take up arms and uh and believed in a in a uh, civil and humane way of dealing with conflict right because peace is not the absence of conflict is how you deal with conflict and and really these are the tools uh that the national network for immigrant refugee rights has put together are very important uh, to help us get organized and build because the fact of the matter and much of this violence happens the fact of the matter is that we are growing as communities of color and uh and the european americans are not going to be replaced they were replaced by the companies that sent their jobs out to other countries around the world and threw them in the, threw us all in the trash can as working people you know when they sent all their jobs out to ship them off to cheap two dollar a week wages and so um the fact of the matter is that working people are growing people of color communities are the majority now and are becoming more and more the majority and a small group of capitalists are afraid so they've been fanning the racist uh, fires to create this hysteria but it's the material that the national network and immigrant rap for american refugee rights is putting together and other groups like alma's group that are going to help us to really get better organized get the real story out there of who we are as working people of all colors and get better organized together our voice uh, become the voice that creates the right the appropriate policy because these folks um it, their time is over you know the the como dijiste gavilan demo publicans <laughs> or republicans the, the demo republicans yeah they're, they're committed to a they're committed to an economy of violence they're committed to a an economy of war we're committed to an economy of peace, and we have to continue to organize in that in that focus. Yes, thank Absolutely. you so much. It, thank you, and I just wanted to say that that we at the National Network, you know, are launching an organizing project precisely on border communities in Texas. And it's, it's, uh, we have a lot of faith that, that as Francisco mentioned, that as community organizers, as peace educators and activists, that we're able to really be able to transform our communities into, into more, uh, uh rights affirming, uh, peaceful, you know, communities in which human needs are prioritized at the community level and to build the leadership you know that comes from their communities that understands the communities to really be able to to fight for 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 change you know and, and and so i have a lot of faith in the in the in the in the people who are already working and organizing there's a strong movement of young younger activists that are doing amazing work around uh, the, the democratic uh, uh, democratization of the electoral, you know, spaces. They're doing very important work around climate change. So I have a lot of faith that we can transform 
you know, our communities, uh, if not tomorrow, but that we're building, uh, planting the seeds for a better future. Absolutely. And, and just, real, just real quickly, um, you know, one thing we can't forget, we've been talking about the children, the tragedy, you know, it, it, nowhere in this country are people safe at this point. But when yep. we look at the children, you know, and I, and I want people, I want to remind people that United States, this land of liberty, justice and freedom for all, has over 7,000 children in cages, even as we speak. So when we talk about the children in Texas and, 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 and the loss of life, we have children that are caged that need to be released. They need to be set free. And, and, and Joe Biden, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you out, Joe. You need to release these children. You know, the tragedy, the trauma that they're suffering. You know, some of them, you know, don't even remember what their mothers look like. This is happening within United States territories. So let's not forget the children because there are children that are still alive. They're being denied their right to pursuit of happiness and having freedom in their lives. Let me let me jump in there. That's a powerful note to end on. Uh, let's see if we can cue up uh, Francisco's song. I'd love to go out with Francisco's song, uh, Rod. Um, I want to thank Alma Montatico. I hope you will come back and talk to us some more about the different uh, adventures you're involved in and the kinds of uh, work you're doing because we want to hear all about it. So um, please feel free. We've got the open door policy for the wonderful work you're doing. Again, Francisco Herrera, my hero, a troubadour, a day labor center here in San Francisco. Of course, our own Miguel Gavala Molina, senior producer here at Flashpoints, Yaki Chicano, uh, and uh, ready uh, for the battle, always ready for the battle for Aslan. All of us uh, are going to have to say goodbye right now. And what an honor to be with you all. You're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. And that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. Special thanks to producer and engineer Rod Akil. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.